Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We've got a really big show for you this week. We're going to talk about everything from the Toyota Mirai to the Tesla Cybertruck. We will also spend your money. Uh, in between, we'll talk about some other things like some compact crossovers uh, that our senior editor for all things on the West Coast, James Rizwick, has been driving. And road test editor Zach Palmer and I have been driving the Dodge Hornet and the Alfa Romeo Tonale here in Michigan. So with that, welcome aboard, guys. We got a big show. Uh, Rizwick, how are you? I'm doing good. <clears throat> well, this, despite sounding uh, on the contrary. Uh, but uh, I'm sure it's a lot uh, warmer here than it is for you. This is this is kind of like my second uh, winter in California after being in Oregon for five years, and I'm still kind of like lost in time. I, I the idea of the calendar and weather and what it's I'm still I still look at like wait how how is it snowing where where you are I don't it's it doesn't make any sense it's lovely outside so it's. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you really feel sorry for me. How much snow do you have on your lawn, Zach? Uh, at this point, it's almost melted. I think actually. Okay. Uh, but I mean, yesterday there was there was a, a good covering. You really couldn't see much of the grass. So yeah, that's that's Michigan right now. It has been a hard fade into winter, no doubt about it. We have not had like you know a, a stepped down thing. It's been cold. So I hope it's warmer like where it is where James is for most of you who are listening. Who knows? It's November. It's about to be December. So kind of kind of is what it is. So we're going to lead off this week with what we've been driving. Uh, this is kind of an interesting one, uh, or we wouldn't be talking about it. This is the Toyota Mirai. This is a fuel cell car. That is not something that comes over the transom every day. Let's put it that way. And we drive some pretty interesting things. So I know you spent a, a good part of a day a while ago slacking your impressions of trying to charge this thing. I mean, take us through this, James. What was this like? Uh, okay, so let's see. Let's see how I can do this without making this entire podcast about this. Um, uh, okay, so I got a Toyota Mirai. It's really only sold in California. So I, when I lived in Portland, I'm not getting that car. Uh, to test it and you guys live in Michigan therefore you're not getting that car either so when I come back to California I can now test a Toyota Mirai furthermore there is a hydrogen filling station about five minutes from my house here in about an hour outside of Los Angeles okay so I will request the Mirai let's get let's get this show on the road okay so the Mirai they're gonna drop it off to me uh, but unfortunately the local one that I just mentioned uh, it's it's not working. Furthermore, the one in Sherman Oaks, about 30 uh, minutes uh, away from me, that's kind of in between me and where the press cars come from, uh, that is not functional yet. Uh, so they cannot they cannot give me a full tank uh, by the time they get to me. Okay, so that's now we've now delayed this um, um, delayed the loan to me by two days they fill it up back at uh, closer to them they then deliver it to me the stated range because it's not full because they had to get it to me way lower than the stated one uh that toyota says for the car um i that, that probably speaks to fuel efficiency of hydrogen um, but either way i now have the car 
I still cannot fill up at the local station because it's kaput, but I still have enough range to go bombing around the mountains and then go down to LAX to drop my wife off at the airport. And I'm going about 20 minutes beyond that to Long Beach for a uh, the sneak preview of uh, the Acura TLX and uh, Honda Ridgeline. Now, uh, I figure, okay, I'm at LAX. Let's see if there's a, a filling station to top off the tank. Okay, there is. So I go, just pop around the corner from LAX. Uh, no, that one's not working. It's, it's yellow taped. Okay, I'm now going to go to the next one on the 405 corridor, which is like 10 minutes away. This is a dedicated shell station in Torrance, the same city that was, that is the headquarters of Honda, which made the Clarity, and the former home of Toyota. Both the two companies, along with Hyundai, who make electric car, uh, hydrogen cars. There's a dedicated shell station there. I go in, it, the entire thing's closed. The entire thing. There's four, there's four pumps. They're all cordoned off. The lady working there said, uh, or she, she pulled me, she asked me, you know, I'm sorry that this is not working. I asked, you know, is this happening a lot? She said, well, these things were pretty reliable, but up, up until like the last couple of years, they started breaking down and we do not have the parts available to fix them. So perhaps this is why all of them were down. I go to, um, Yet another one. This time I show up, no car there. The screen appears to be working. Okay, here we go. We finally get to fill up with hydrogen, put the credit card in the machine and screen doesn't change at all. Not, it's not working. I go into the AMPM station asking, uh, is there something wrong with there, with that thing? And the lady in there just said, no, that's, that's dealt, that's controlled by another company. We have, we have no idea. It, 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 right. So uh, that's that's strike four, really, at this point, maybe five. At this point, I, I give up, right? So I, I, because Long Beach is also the home of where the press cars come from, I ring them up and go, hey, I can get back home. I can furthermore have enough range to get you back to me or back to your home, but I will not be able to drive this car anymore. It, it'll just be a statue on in front of my house. So why don't, do you have literally have anything that I could possibly review? Like anything that isn't pyre powered by hydrogen at this point. So they gave me a lovely Lexus that I did an interior review, the LX600. Pretty, pretty nice, very interesting interior to go over. Uh, so that was, that was the extent of the hydrogen car experience. What is it like to refuel a hydrogen car? I don't know. I didn't do it. Couldn't. Tried. Uh, didn't. So uh, after I published the article, I actually got an email from a guy who owned the car, who owned a Mirai. And he said, yeah, that's pretty much what my experience was. So uh, yeah, not, not great. The other thing is, I don't understand how this makes sense. Because in theory, Yes, if you live in an apartment or a condominium or somewhere where you cannot charge an electric car, sure, this is an emissions-free uh, vehicle that you can charge, or sorry, you can fill up like a gasoline car at the same quickness 
of a gasoline car is opposed to waiting at a Chili's for 40 minutes to recharge publicly. But the problem is it's not really emissions free because while I can charge my car, my electric car using solar panels on my roof or using an electricity grid that uses renewable sources, hydrogen, because we don't live in on Jupiter or the sun where most of the, the hydrogen is in our solar system, has to be split off from something else. Well, that something else is effectively methane, natural gas, which is a fossil fuel. So it's not emissions free at all. Furthermore, you're using a whole bunch of power to split off hydrogen from methane to then put it into a car to turn it into water and energy. That makes no sense at all. I, I'm sorry, not the hydrogen cars, no. Maybe for the purposes of long distance travel or ships or something, or if you can turn, it, some. there's some scenario where it does, but I'm sorry, it just doesn't make any sense. It, it It's not good. And also the giant hydrogen tanks really rob it of interior space. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, 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 uh, the Toyota Mirai for you. That's interesting. I, I kind of wonder, there's a few technologies that OEMs are dealing with right now and embracing with different levels. And you kind of ask yourself, why are they doing this? Hydrogen is one of them. Another head scratcher I think right now is GM's folly into robot taxi. I actually meant to say 4A, but it came out as folly with cruise automation. Um, perhaps I was more right the first time. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few other things, other examples that come up. Someone maybe throw the BMW grills in there, although I happen to like them. Um, yeah, man, I just I wonder why they continue to invest with it. Um, so you couldn't tell me how it was to fill it up. But I mean, is this any different than driving a normal car for the listeners out there? Um, it feels, well, it's interesting because it does feel pretty EV-ish because the electric motor is the thing that's, it's like a series hybrid. It's, it's the thing that accelerates, but you do hear the whirring of the, of the, the fuel cell. It feels slower than it is. Like, Motor Trend clocked it in the sevens, and I'm like, what? I was I was thinking this is like nine. It feel it does it runs out of steam. It's definitely not electric in that response. Um, the other the other thing is so one one benefit is that you get fifteen thousand dollars worth of uh, hydrogen throughout the course of your three year lease or six year ownership span, um, which is a you know that that's something, which I think you're probably fine on the lease, but at, remember that thing I mentioned about hydrogen coming from natural gas? Um, if you've seen my natural gas bill last year, oh dear God, uh, it's rather high. And as such, like hydrogen prices have exploded. So it ain't, once you, once that 15 grand is gone, <laughs> it costs you like 150 bucks to like, fill up some tiny, like relatively tiny tank. Um, it, it, you, so yeah, furthermore, let's just fire more torpedoes into this Titanic. Not that the, the Lusitania, Lusitania, that would be better. 
Yeah. Torpedoed 1915. Too soon. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 108 years ish. Uh, So I'm curious too, were you at all nervous about driving around with a tank of hydrogen? No. Strapped to the back of your car? No. Well, there's three of them. There's three of them. There's one next to me. There's one behind the, uh, the, on top of the axle and one front of the axle. They actually, instead of just doing one big unit tank, they actually split them up, which is kind of clever engineering. Um, but no, I mean, normally there's a giant, there's 15 gallons of gasoline it, you drive around with. So, I mean, that's not good. I mean, you know, that's pretty flammable too. Yeah. More like 20 gallons if you're driving a large SUV, you know, I mean, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd rather everyone like talks about EV fires or whatever. But I mean, I <laughs> no, I hear you straight up. I don't even like keeping gas in my garage no. currently. I keep just the bare minimum for the snowblower, which I never use anymore. I have electric lawnmowers and well, the cars with their gallons of flammable gas in them. But that's it, you know. And it's I don't know. Somewhere along the line, it's it's really interesting. We just became okay with driving around gallons, enormous gallons of flammable fluid and then people are worried about evs like i don't, I don't know the dissonance is a little it's a little bit it's interesting let's I mean, put it that way i guess there's the idea that you know these cars are bursting into flames in your garage when you're not at home i don't know how often that happens with gas cars and i say that like I, I literally don't know and also like the rate of them like how often it happens it's just Everything with EVs and especially Tesla just gets so over-reported that it creates this false sense of uh, like ext- extremeness for anything. So yeah, we always get the uh, the stray shot of a hydrogen station going up in flames every, every now and then too. That is a great thing for some some fear mongering amongst the uh, other flammable events that can happen. I don't know. I, I want to say it was last year or something like that. There was just a massive fireball at one of the hydrogen stations in Europe. And I know that that story clicked extremely well for us uh, back when it happened, because of course it did. So, I mean, the Hindenburg disaster would probably be more apropos given our um, discussion here. But um, hey, uh, I drove a fuel cell car about over a decade ago. It was a Buick, and I forget which model it was, but it was like the cousin of the Pontiac Torrent. Maybe it was the Pontiac Torrent. GM had some of these like fuel cell prototypes, and you know, I again, my recollections at this point are pretty vague. Um, but it was it was about the same. I didn't have to fill it up, and it was maybe slightly shower, slower than you would expect uh, a gas powered car to be. So. Yeah, I've, I've I've been in two of them, uh, both the um, the Hyundai, uh, the Nexo, and then also the the BMW iX5 hydrogen here recently. Um, didn't really get to drive the iX5 recently, but I did go through an entire presentation about why why we're doing this, you know, why we're going to continue to really look at hydrogen, and uh, yeah, I mean, to what you said, James, like they they have both driven just like an EV but slower. Um, which, you know, smooth, quiet and all that, but not exactly invigorating to drive in any way. Um, and it was, it was actually interesting with, with that BMW. I, I did not drive it in, uh, 
on the West Coast, where all of the hydrogen, I guess the broken hydrogen stations are in Jovita and Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, but BMW's plant down there, they have a hydrogen filling station. Uh, one one thing that I thought was interesting though was they can only fill at a certain PSI, so they could only fill those cars halfway um, <laughs> because uh, they, uh, they they did not have the equipment to fully fill them up. Uh, but in normal use cases, they actually uh, use all of their forklifts and everything down there on hydrogen. So there's there's one reason for it to use for manufacturing. All right. Well, we don't have a real smooth transition to the Hornet slash Tenale discussion. So I'll just throw something random. If you're looking for a good book on the Lusitania, Eric Larson's Dead Wake, really good book. He's written a number of uh, historical books and historical fiction books. So since Rizwick digs deep with the random trivia, uh, I'll throw that one on there and then we can just shift over to the Hornet and the Tenale. I guess I'll go first since the Hornet's a little bit cheaper. Uh, I drove this uh, better part of last week and it felt like a European hot hatch, I thought, uh, because it is maybe not a hot hatch, like a mildly spicy hatch, but it's definitely European. You open the door and it says made in Italy uh, on that kind of like, uh, you know, the lower part of the running board, which is kind of interesting considering it says Dodge everywhere else. Um, I thought the steering was a little more direct than perhaps you would get in this feedback, or excuse me, in this segment. Uh, there's a little bit more feedback going on. It felt a little bit like a European flair, and I think that could be a good thing. I think Alfa Romeo and also Dodge can offer something up different in this segment, which could be rather um, mundane, kind of you know vanilla, if you will. Uh, so I like that about it. Um, it reminded me a lot of, I would say, the Dodge Hornet, excuse me, of the Dodge Dart, a car that was pretty good, that was interesting, that was different, that was European derived, but it wasn't really quite good enough to make waves, uh, make a wake, if you will, in the segment and grab a bunch of new consumers for Dodge. So that was like the comparison that kept coming back to me as I drove this thing. Uh, I drove the all-wheel drive GT Plus, which came in a pretty attractive shade of, I guess, burnt orange would be the way to put it, like the University of Texas, if you're trying to get a visual image. So, I mean, in that sense, it was okay. Um, likes, I like the styling, you know, it kind of looked like a Durango front end on an Alfa Romeo, which was okay. Uh, dislikes, I did not like the infotainment system. Sometimes the screen just didn't work very well, which I found to be a little frustrating. Uh, it could be it's very cold here and you know I have poor circulation. I don't know, maybe the blood wasn't quite getting to my fingertips. Circulation's not that bad, let's put it that way. Um, but um, you know, it was kind of an up and down experience. Overall, a solid car, um, it has character. It felt like a Dodge with a bit of a European kind of injection, which isn't me trying to be a cliche here. It just, it kind of felt like a Dodge. I also didn't like the seats either. They had that kind of uh, grippy, velour-like feeling. And it just kind of like, you sort of like stuck to them, which is kind of like the idea perhaps in a Charger Scat Pack. But getting in these things with like winter coats on, you know, as we've discussed, it was like 20 degrees here. Um, it's just, it wasn't super comfortable. It felt clingy. So that's kind of my mini review on the Hornet. How would you say the Tenale graded out on your end there, Zach? Yeah, 
So I had had the TI trim, which was the middle version. Uh, unlike the Hornet, where you actually have the powertrain choice between just gas or plug-in hybrid, all of the Tenales are plug-in hybrids. Um, so that was, you know, one of the, the things I was really looking forward to trying out was this Alpha slash Dodge plug-in hybrid system. Uh, it's good. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's, it's a great plug-in hybrid, though. Um, I do wish that under electric power, it was a little bit quicker. Um, and it is effectively rear-wheel drive also when you're under electric power, which is, which is interesting, sort of like the, uh, the way that Volvo does it, um, where you're just getting power to one set of wheels, even though it is an all-wheel drive car. Uh, but that, that also makes it a little interesting uh, when the gas engine does kick in. Uh, when you throw it into the full D mode for the DNA on the alpha mode selector, uh, it does a nice little burnout from the front tires as the rears try to catch up. Uh, it's it's not as discombobulated as the Volvo sort of used to be in that manner, but uh, it uh, it really does seem like it it flows uh, to an acceptable degree. Um, beyond that, though, like I I actually had a similar experience with with the seats. I wonder if they're almost the same and or really really similar seats that they put in the uh, the Alpha and and the Dodge. Uh, Alpha likes really really tight hugging high bolster seats and this this Tenale also had those um and uh man just overall though i i do wish that the interior were just a little bit nicer i would i would take the stelvio over it in that sense and really just driving the stelvio in general is more fun than than the Tenale is but uh you know from it's 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 sort of weird because the alpha is not necessarily that that big from the outside but uh, I know that James and I were sort of chatting about this when, before you logged on, Greg, about the subcompact versus compact segment and where it sort of lies. Like the back seat in that Alpha is is really really not that bad when you compare it to the Stelvio. Uh, it's almost strange in that Alpha has these two SUVs now with very similar back seat and very similar trunk uh, dimensions. They're obviously not exactly the same, but uh, you know they they're some of the biggest differences honestly with with those now is just how they drive do you want the plug-in hybrid you know or, or do you want the the stelvio which feels like a much more serious alpha crossover with a, a rear biased all-wheel drive system so i liked the tonale didn't necessarily love it um for all of all of those reasons um it would it would be tough for me to pick honestly between that and the hornet um i've i've, I've yet to drive the hornet but similar powertrain in that with 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 the plug-in hybrid optional yeah i've driven the hornet and <clears throat> so dodge my problem is like the segment that this is in dodge says it's a compact suv and prices it as it's as if it is and dude it ain't a compact suv it is a subcompact suv uh the the back seat i don't remember they're different cars. I, they're probably basically the same, but compared to a Stelvio, I don't know. But in terms of like compact SUVs, your CRVs and even like Mazda CX-5, it is small. You are going to have a hard time fitting. It's like for family SUV. Nope, that is not what this is. Um, I actually have a Mazda CX-30 right now and it the space is very similar. Uh, the back seat's probably a little bigger in the Hornet, but the trunk is smaller than the CX-30. 
So, you know, I'm Mr. Luggage Test Guy, and all my bags can kind of barely fit in the CX-30. They did not fit in the Hornet, which is not which is not good. A compact SUV can fit all of my bags in a cooler and other crap from my garage, like a, that I need to stuff in to fill the space. This thing ain't close. This is one of the, this for in the subcompact segment would be one of the worst in terms of cargo space. And the back seat I, I found very cramped, even by a subcompact standards. Um, and the price is basically that the, if you get that the turbo plus, so totally loaded is basically the same price as a CX 30 turbo, all wheel drive, yada, 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 fancy, fancy version, which itself is kind of like a shocking number for a teeny tiny car. Uh, it's like $37,000. I don't know if I said that. Um, if we're talking like, this is the niche niche of both cars is I'm very willing to trade functionality and practicality and family friendliness for something that's good to drive, powerful, and has kind of a European upper echel, like a like a higher quality interior. Both of those like fit the bill. That's what they're going for. It's a it's very it's a small niche, um, but I'd rather have the Mazda in this and for you could also get like a cx5 or a cx50 turbo and would have that more space and still would would be more enjoyable to drive than the hornet so i mean they don't have the plug-in hybrid so that is definitely a thing and if you want a plug-in hybrid suv that's fun to drive then sure right like that's it's definitely better to drive than a sportage or a rav4 prime but again you're sacrificing a lot of space so just got to be aware of that in general I, I i i was not a hornet fan i it seemed pretty half-baked as if they just put a dodge badge on an alfa romeo oh oh that, wait that's exactly what they did that's exactly what they did so i don't know but the i i cannot comment about the alfa romeo though so you like the CX-30 better than the Hornet. How do you like the CX-30 as composed, as considered against the Trax or the Seltos? Yeah, and I, I've had a variety of those. And like th this CX-30, I said it's $37,000. It's like nine grand more expensive than the Trax I had. The Trax is tremendous value. Um, they really, you know, they... they put the money towards things that most people care more about and also cut back on things they're not as they don't care so much about so there's a lot of hard plastic in the interior but the interior looks really good and there's a lot of space i think for most people that would count more although seriously can we just pad the armrests just a little bit more please um the Trax looks great. It looks so good. Um, it, sh it points to Chevrolet finally having, going, trying to do a cohesive brand in terms of both style as well as driving dynamics. I mean, this thing is tr great, great steering, wonderfully composed suspension, um, really smart transmission as well. Which I'll talk a little bit later. 
um, which kind of speaks to it being like a sporty, um, you, can, you can see the design cohesiveness or cohesion um, in terms of the tracks with the new Blazer EV, the new Equinox EV, the existing Blazer, you could also, and then the, the, where they got their inspiration from the Camaro. So for the longest time, you had these halo products of Camaro and Corvette, and they don't trickle down at all to the rest of, look at, look at the, the sad lump of the current Equinox, or the Trailblazer, which looks like the engineers came up with something and the marketers said like, okay, let's make this work somehow. There, there was like, talk about Mazda. Every Mazda drives like a Mazda. And that is true with most brands, but not Chevrolet. They did not leverage the fact that they have the sporty heritage of their two most iconic cars or the heritage of their, their truck line. In, for neither of their, their core consumer products, now they're finally getting it. And like with the tracks, it's just so good because it, it has character, it's great to drive, yet it's also practical. And yeah, to, to speaking to value, it, it's, you, you, I don't think you can spend over 30 grand on one. So, you know, they, back to the point of them cutting back in areas people don't care about, it's slow. Like on paper, it's zero to 60s in the nines. It doesn't feel slow though, because there's this little triple, the turbo triple, um, it's punchy off the line, it's when you just like try to like really gun it and pass someone. Yeah, if you're on a two-lane road, need to pass a slower car, that's the scenario when you're most likely gonna notice the lack of power. But otherwise around town, just getting up onto the highway speed, it's totally fine, especially considering how generally slow people drive and accelerate. Uh, you're just not gonna notice and it's gonna get good fuel economy as a result. Um, the, the main drawback I see is that it's four-wheel drive only, or front-wheel drive only. Um, I don't know if that's to create, if it's not possible with the platform, that's hard to believe. I don't know if it's to make the Trailblazer, give a, the Trailblazer reason to exist. Um, but either way, that, that's, that's the main issue. And by the way, the Buick and Vista, Everything I just said about the track basically applies to that too. We, I think we've talked about that previously on the podcast. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, you mentioned I also had the Kia Seltos recently. That's a really impressive car too. Like in terms of great value and providing you lots of space for the money. I, I used it uh, during a, like kind of a extended weekend in, back in Portland and I had the family and had all our stuff and it was a great size and it was enjoyable to drive. Lovely interior update, great technology. Um, but, but, and like it was good value, but suddenly like the tracks <laughs> makes it like not seem that great. Um, so really, really um, interesting cars. And in general, that subcompact segment, when they started, when they first came out, you had like the Honda HRV and the Jeep Compass kind of the cross track um maybe the original chevy tracks yick that was um, a rough car oh. in many in many respects yeah um and in at my previous publication when we were doing ratings and recommended we were like we don't recommend any of these things they're they're not good and they're not like just buy a base compact now 
our li the list of things we would recommend is definitely longer than those that we don't. Um, the, and it's not just that they're good, that's that they're very different. Like they, they're not just like the same box or like just like a decontented worse version of a more expensive, bigger version. They all have like unique characters and they, they satisfy the needs of different buyers, um, which is really great, um, which, you know, gives people a lot of choices, which can be overwhelming, but it's less overwhelming when you can look at them and actually determine that they're different in some way. And I, I think that's I think that's why this is one of the most interesting segments out there, uh, because they are interesting cars. And in the case of some of them, they actually are good value. And I can see you picking a Trax instead of something bigger, because it could be a perfectly cromulent family vehicle if you wanted it to be. Um, I certainly used it as such. So, yeah. I am really excited to drive the tracks in the Invista. They just haven't, Avista, they just haven't landed in my driveway yet through happenstance. Um, so I'm really interested. I think, um, you know, when I look back at the segment, there's so much character in it right now, as you point out there, James. And it used to be such like a penalty box segment. You know, things like, remember the Ford Echo Sport? Uh, that was that was pretty grim. My favorite Echo Sport I've ever seen, though, is I was in Quebec City in the dead of winter, and this guy had it on snow tires with the tire on the back, and it looked pretty awesome, to be honest. It just, it was like kind of lifted, but otherwise, I've never enjoyed driving that, that thing. It was a steaming pile, let's put it that way. And the old tracks, uh, and now you're looking at companies like like Kia, like General Motors, that have historically struggled in this specific segment, and they're coming up with cars that, you know, we're saying, hey, this is this is better than a used car. This is even better than some things, perhaps that are larger because this vehicle in this segment might fit your needs better. So, it's. It's a very interesting time to be in the small crossover segment, which is something I don't know if I've ever been able to say that at any point in the last decade or so. It is it is good to see that, you know, there are actual good, like super cheap options cropping up here, like the track and the Avista, because like most of the like decent, super cheap cars have sort of gone by the wayside. Like you look at like a Ford Focus or a Chevy Cruze, like those things simply don't exist. What are you gonna buy at the $21,000 price point that doesn't totally suck. Chevy Trax, um, it's, it's, it's here and it exists and it has a warranty. Um, and it's not bad. So no. I don't know. It, and it's you really know what, cool. To the point of it being actually enjoyable to drive, there's ceiling above this, but where it is now. They could do an SS and they wouldn't have to make it nutty, but like they could just put a slightly bigger engine in it and it could be a hoot. Like it could be like, even if you just left it front wheel drive, not unlike the Kona N, they could, it has the chassis that it could absolutely take more power and be like really enjoyable to drive. I, I genuinely like driving this car around. And yeah, maybe Chevy should go back to their SS all the things days. Uh, that was, that was interesting. <laughs> and like, it was like four small SSs out yeah. there, but they were, they were interesting cars. Well, it's and not, if, and if you're making everything with the common DNA, then it's not like out of left field where you have like the front wheel drive Impala SS 
and a and the that trail was not a bad blazer car. I will disagree with you on that one. That was not a bad one. Small block uh, V8, 303 horsepower. That was fun from for the, the front early wheels. 2000s. Yeah, but I don't think you could have detected a lot of Camaro DNA into that, right? Yeah, like, that's fair. So, like now, I think they they have the makings of it being, you know, pretty solid, and you know that could also possibly apply to their their EVs as well. So I, I'm it's like finally Chevy like woken up to try to actually have a coherent DNA, not just like here's some cars we sell. They're random, which is very old like that's the way cars used to be but in the last you know 30 years it's come to like yeah we should be a brand that is when you drive brand x you know what to expect to some degree um the other thing is they're getting their styling right i think styling mm -hmm. is always subjective but the tracks is a good looking crossover you know so is the blazer ev uh the equinox ev the gas powered versions are a little more you know less so but decent looking vehicles and i think it's starting to really come through and that could be a difference you know it could be a difference maker for some people that walk into uh, a dealership and like well i like how that one looks that looks cool so mm -hmm. <clears throat> All right. So that's our review section. We're going to kind of do this in-house a little bit and talk about the Autoblog Technology of the Year Award for 2023. The winner is the Mercedes-Benz uh, Dolby Atmos system. We tested this in October. We had a lot of the staff uh, driving all the different vehicles. Uh, it was a great day of testing. Uh, of course, testing happens Throughout the year, you know, we, you know, some of it is more like we're kind of arguing, trying to figure out what goes on the long list, what makes more of like the short list. What should we even consider? What's eligible? And this one got the most votes. Uh, it was fairly close, but it was, you know, we did have a clear cut winner. I didn't have to do any tiebreakers as I, I have in the past for various auto blog awards uh, where you do have to do the sort of like the, the vice president senate tiebreaker vote i've had to do that a few times we won't get into that uh so we had a winner here and uh you know i think it obviously was deserved it was a very uh rich immersive experience uh we had a lot of good tech this year too you know we had the the pilot uh the honda pilot uh seat removal second row seat removal which is probably the least technological uh, thing we had. We had the BMW 7 Series theater screen, uh, the Super Duty cameras on the on the Ford Super Duty. And uh, let's see, I'm missing something. What am I missing here, Zach? There's one I'm missing. We also have the Mustang Remote Red. How could I forget that? If that isn't yeah. technology <laughs> gunning your engine from your porch, uh, what is? So it was, a, I would say it was a very eclectic field this year. Uh, things kind of went into the um, None were, I would say, frivolous, but some were more purposeful than others. And that's how we how we grade this too. You know, there is a wow factor. And some of these technologies fared very well on that. Uh, then there's also is how well does it work? And then the third criteria is, you know, how significant is it? So, you know, as you can imagine, that's sort of how uh, certain things might do very well in one category and not very well in the other. So... Uh, it was a good day of testing. You know, I think we obviously came up with a, a good winner and a deserved winner. And, you know, I don't know, what do you think about the process, Zach? I guess you kind of like, for those of you at home, you don't realize that Zach has to be the hardest worker on 
testing day. He has to do everything from, well, I guess I got the bagels, but get everything from lunch to make sure the cars are there and that they're not in trouble. You know, I mean, what would you think of this year's testing? I think that this one uh, went pretty dang well. Uh, we had five cars this year, which uh, it was more than the past couple of years. We've, we, we've only had three the past couple of years. Uh, which, you know, sort of speaks to a lot of new and interesting tech going into into new vehicles. Uh, I already know that the 2024 one is going to be just loaded with, with interesting things uh, that may or may not have just missed the time cutoff for, for this year's event. Uh, and this one, it, this was really interesting because, you know, I, I sort of went into the testing day not having like any clear-cut favorite, any any one of them that I was like, oh, this one, this is one that is going to win. Um, so it was, it was a bit of a surprise, honestly. Like when, after after seeing everybody's votes and tallying everything up, you know, which which one won. The one that did win was the one that I gave the most votes. Um, obviously, the one that most people gave most votes. But nobody, I think, went into the day thinking, "Oh, Mercedes Benz and Dolby Atmos. This is this is the winner for Tech of the Year." But when you sort of get in it and you understand it and you listen to it and you're like, whoa, uh, other car audio systems don't sound like this. Um, and, uh, you know, just a lot of the others, they were interesting, but they they had their flaws. And we saw that throughout the day, you know, we're obviously chatting to each other uh, after after we fill out our score sheets, like, hey, this this worked for me. This was not working at all. Like this, this was not as it was billed in, in the press release. Like this is this is a lot more complicated or this didn't work how I was expecting it to work. Um, like an example, that was like the, the remote rev. Uh, I mean, one thing that, that John pointed out that I think most of us agreed with, like, we're kind of hoping that, you know, you could just hit a button on the remote and just free rev it. Uh, so say you hold, hold, hold a button down and Hey, you can rev it all the way to red line, let it go. The revs will fall. Now it just does like a little pre-programmed rev, which is fun and all, but, not exactly the way that everybody was hoping that that tech might have worked. Um, so yeah, really, really great day of testing. A lot of spirited debate and a close, close call at the end. Uh, theater screen was 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 second place for those of you who were wondering. Uh, third place was in fact remote rev, just because it's so much fun making V8 noises from the outside of your car. <laughs> Uh, fourth place was the Super Duty cameras that just didn't really quite live up to their billing. And last place was was the Honda Pilot. So if you want a lot more details, I would definitely recommend going to check out the post that's that's live on the site and see all of the photos, uh, see a lot of the reasoning for why one, one tech got more points than another uh, and why Dolby Atmos is the clear-cut winner, honestly, I think. So yeah, another successful tech of the year, I'd say. In addition to the sandwiches from Troy Deli, shout out, which I thought were very good. I really thought the sound of the Atmos system uh, was just really immersive. I think that's kind of a term that we keep going back to. It was it was rich. It you know it's a surround sound system that sort of it's almost like having the different instruments and the different pieces of the elements of the music kind of come on as they should in a very rich way it's it's silky to use that kind of cliche uh, and it's available you know you have to do it through apple music and not every single artist and song obviously is capable of this so there's a little bit of that 
Um, but everything from like the who to Taylor Swift was on there that we could test. I think everybody who would, you know, had their allotted like what half hour or so up to an hour in the car would spend a lot of time in that Mercedes. It was the GLS with their feet relaxed, listening to the music, having a massage. It was a probably the cushiest part of the testing day. Um, but more broadly speaking, I think one of the reasons this tech beat out some of the others is that it could be more applicable. And I think this is sort of where music in cars uh, should be heading. You know, if you actually sit in your whatever car, it's okay. The music is fine. Maybe you have like talk radio on, maybe you're listening to sports. It is what it is. It's how you're getting through your day from point A to point B. And that's fine. You know, believe me, I, I, you don't need this to listen to, you know, the Red Wings Canadians game. You don't need this to listen to sports talk radio or NPR. But if you really want to get into, say, you know, again, you're big Swifty or something, this does make your driving experience better. Uh, Mercedes hasn't quite specified what they're going to do next with this. But Zach, you wrote the piece and you mentioned that uh, a number of other automakers are interested in sort of working with Dolby and, you know, proliferating this sound, which I think is good for consumers. Because yeah, full disclosure, we tested this in a Mercedes GLS. It's an expensive audio system in a Mercedes. Yeah, it better be pretty good, right? I mean, cards on the table, that's how it should be. But it's also sort of the meaning that this could expand and that this could make, you know, frankly, the commute better. Uh, I wouldn't say it's going to be you know, and more in like, you know, I think you said a Corolla or something in the story, Zach, it's not going to be there. But this type of technology could migrate its way up and down um, the lineup of Mercedes and other automakers. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because, I mean, for, for those familiar with, with what Dolby Atmos is, uh, you know, maybe you've seen it in home theater and whatnot. And it really did start out as this sort of niche thing, you know, that you have in a movie theater. And it's, it's, it's a very unique setup that requires a lot of these speakers and a lot of money. And uh, it's, it's just a very premium uh, setup. Now, you can go buy a Dolby Atmos soundbar for your living room. It costs about 300, 400 bucks. Uh, and so that's, that's just, you know, how, how far the, the, this tech has come from like a home theater standpoint in about 10 years. Which is which is pretty neat. Uh, so you can spend not all that crazy amount of money and still get the really really cool uh, programming and software from from Dolby to run on on your speaker. Assuming that you have a TV that, that can actually run it, uh, you need you need to have some some compatible hardware. Um, but we could see that happen in cars, and that's 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 it's sort of you know it's it's starting at the top. It's starting here with Mercedes Benz. Lucid is also putting it into the air and its its vehicles. Uh, Volvo has has talked about it, uh, and uh, also also Lotus too. Um, I, I I presume just that whole Geely group is in in talks with uh, with Atmos to make that happen. And I wouldn't be surprised if we just see it trickling into more and more vehicles, because it's it's sort of one of those things where you know you kind of have to hear it to believe it. Um, it's 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 very difficult to describe in words and uh, in sort of in audio over over a podcast like this. Uh, but you know, if 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 you are interested in like listening to it and seeing what it it, it really sounds like, a theater. I mean, you, you can go online and look up theaters that that, that actually have that and listen and watch a movie uh, with 
with Dolby Atmos, uh, and you can just do it in your home too. Um, obviously, a car is one of like the coolest and best sound stages for it because of the just vast number of speakers that automakers give you. Uh, this this Maybach uh, had 27. You can you don't need 27 speakers though to make it work. Uh, I mean, you can do it in I mean, quite literally one uh, if you just have a sound bar. Uh, however, more does help. You know, if you have five, six, ten speakers, you're just going to get that even more of a unique and interesting experience, uh, audio-wise. So, yeah, absolutely, it can go everywhere. You can. I, I, I really think that we're we're going to see it in more and more cars as 2020 plays on, and maybe into 2030 as more and more people catch on to it. All right. So check out our full coverage of technology of technology of the year it went live thursday at 6 a.m we like to do things i guess it dawn with our announcements around here i just think it's a good way to get in people's feeds and on their phones so check it out we have a great video you can see all these technologies work uh let us know what you think uh so that is that's all up there right now and if you're you know you're skiing this weekend maybe it's not quite that snowy or you're looking for something to uh go back as you're maybe killing time on the weekend do check out these awards so let's move on to the other big news of the week. Uh, Tesla had a uh, sort of a production announcement on Wednesday, and it's it's interesting. This is more about the Cybertruck uh, that we're curious to see how and when they're going to achieve critical mass. Now, uh, we're sort of broadcasting before this will be coming, so we're kind of coming to you from the past, but also from the future. But I think it's a good example or a good opportunity to just discuss What's up with the Cybertruck? You know, it feels like a lot of the information has been fairly, uh, you know, driveled out. And a lot of the things we have been seeing have been, frankly, unfavorable. My take on the Cybertruck is I happen to like how it looks. I don't think I'm in the majority. Uh, I think at a high level, the silhouette and the stainless steel, it's kind of cool. It's kind of like a throwback. 1980s Tron kind of wedge. I like that. I'm here for that. Sounds a little DeLorean-esque. But that also, I think, brings me to another pretty good parallel, which is the DeLorean, which was very tough to build, very tough for them to make money off of. It was a dog to drive. I've never driven one, but I would really like to. And, you know, they had all sorts of production issues and delivery issues. I'm not saying that's going to be a challenge here, uh, but it has been so far. They have an order for about an order bank of about a million people who have raised their hand and are interested in the Cybertruck. That's about four years of a wait list as far as how they could build this. So where are you guys at on the Cybertruck? Let's start sure, with you so, there. <laughs> they, they, there might be a million people that have put down $100 deposits on the thing, but also there is no price for the uh, for it yet. I know that Elon has already said that, you know, that the prices that they revealed at their, you know, big Cybertruck unveiling date are definitely not going to be the prices for it when it comes out. Because it's, I mean, what what has it been like five years since since they've actually revealed the thing? Three, four. I mean, it's 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 been a long, long time, and they've they've missed all of their production targets so far. But I mean, I, I am I entertained to see what they roll out tomorrow? I I mean, I I'm definitely going to be watching. I'm I'm definitely going to be curious to see what they have to say. Because I mean, this is supposed to be their their, their big launch event. You know, they're they're technically delivering some trucks. Uh, you know how production ready those trucks are is anybody's guess. Were they were they hand built? Were they built on a production line? Uh, who is getting them? Are they all Tesla employees? Um, 
what what exactly does tomorrow even mean in the grand scheme of things i'm not sure because i guess we haven't really seen it yet um but we are going to learn a lot more about the truck i think um it it, it it might not be a lot but we don't really know a lot about the truck to begin with so i'm at, i'm at least intrigued to see what kind of information they roll out there uh, I'm definitely not in your camp, Greg, on the whole looking good part. I, I don't like anything about the way that, that this thing looks. Um, and it has not improved since they revealed their initial prototype. I don't think it's just, it just looks even more awkward and weird now. Um, so it's, I guess that's my, my short Cybertruck take there. I'm worried about the Cybertruck, James. I think it is completely and utterly ridiculous. And some of our... Mo some of our favorite and most memorable cars and trucks over time have also been ridiculous. I mean, DeLorean is just one example, but so many of the things that we'll look back fondly is like, oh, remember that thing? That was wild. That was cool. Yeah, but th they didn't really sell a lot of those cars because they were they were ridiculous. And people don't want to drive. So, sure, you'll sign up for something that's ridiculous if you own 17 other cars or you you're just like really enamored with it to begin with but over time you'll go oh there's a reason why a hundred plus years of vehicle development hasn't resulted in this thing uh before so any talk like you see this tesla stands talking about how it's beating regular trucks and this and that. And you saw the video of it off-roading and the stands going, wow, and oh, look at the incredible off-road performance. We're like, you've never seen literally anything else ever off-road before. Um, <clears throat> like any sort of talk of it being a serious vehicle that can compete with, that can be a viable alternative to gas trucks or even a Ford Lightning or the Rivian. The Rivian is like a Ford Ranger compared to this thing. It is just nonsense. It's just as nonsense as the rest of the truck. So I give, I let's just put aside the fact that the build quality on these pre-production things that we've seen is laughably bad. And don't talk to me about pre-production stuff. We see pre-production cars all the time in this job. And I have never seen anything remotely bad as that. Um, and so even just moving beyond that, anything beyond it just being a novelty, I'm going to pay just as much attention to a Cybertruck as I would name some low-volume Ferrari or like a Lotus or something that will get headlines amongst enthusiasts, but the regular car buyer will not pay attention to them at all. If anything, it draws attention away from Tesla's other like products that have resonated in great extent with consumers. And if that thing sells to the degree with normal non-Tesla specific enthusiasts as the three and the Y have. I'll just eat my shoe, but I just, it's ridiculous. And it will meet the same fate as all the other ridiculous cars throughout time. I'm curious because, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, because 
Tesla has made a lot of promises that it has not followed through with in any shape or form. Things like, like where's the Tesla semi-truck? Uh, where's this Roadster we've been hearing about for years? The Cybertruck seems to be one of the, I would say, like most empty promises that actually seems like it's apparently going to happen at this point. So that's where I'm kind of curious uh, to see how this plays out. Like, they've gotten this far. Are they really going to really screw it up? You know, the build quality that we've been seeing is shocking. We've all driven pre-pro cars. I remember I drove a uh, a pre-pro Camaro. Uh, this is a long time ago, back when they were launching a generation of it. And I remember the engineers were like apologizing all over. And I was like, I honestly wouldn't have even noticed some of the stuff that you guys are pointing out. Yeah, the dashboard's a little rough, but like you expect that, you know? I mean, we, I think we probably all saw that story of Franz von Holzhausen, who was a very well-respected Mazda designer, is now a designer at Tesla, took the Cybertruck to a Cars and Coffee in, uh, I believe it was somewhere in the LA area, and it was just roundly criticized. It had this like weird kind of tacky wrap on it. So, I mean, I guess there's a part of me that thinks like, they're not gonna really get this that wrong, right? The Model 3, the Model S, the Model Y, while they do have some build quality issues, they're generally pretty well-received cars. Tesla's the number one EV seller in America for a reason. I guess devil's advocate, like, are they really going to screw this thing up that much? I, you know, it's, it, we just keep talking about it because nothing ever really happens since they made that announcement. Remember when they tried to, the windows were what, bulletproof or shatterproof or something, and then they shattered? We've seen the Ram Rev. We've seen the all electric, the Ram hybrid slash whatever it is. It's like an extended range hybrid generator, although apparently the gas never actually powers the wheels. So call it whatever you like. I guess the original Chevy Volt would be a good comparison. You got the Lightning, you got the Silverado EV. Scout is apparently on the horizon here with its electric range of vehicles. Rivian, I mean, how long is this thing going to take to get here, you know, and like really get here? But their problems are so many of these problems are what anybody would have with any rational person would have foresee happening when you saw the thing. And then also knowing that every single production timeline that Tesla has ever provided has grossly like they, they've been wrong. So those two things. Is anybody shocked that we're four years out and it hasn't been made yet and they've had production problems? No, of course not. Anybody who is, they're killing, is kidding themselves. So, I, and if like this thing is not doing X, Y, Z, it's because they shot themselves in the foot from the at, right at the block because they designed it they i think they might be a little it might be a little unfair to the the rest of the people not named elon but like it of course it happened that it's it's again ridiculous so <laughs> you're gonna have issues with it well we'll see what transpires you know uh the rest of this week we'll see maybe something will come out wouldn't it be hilarious if they pulled the cover off and they're like okay those are prototypes we were just kidding. This is the actual truck. Look at how much normal it is, how more normal it is. I mean, that'd be hilarious, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's just a Ranger. It looks like a like a there Ranger with a, yeah. a, a Model S front end. That that's it. Normal yeah. truck. 
they partnered with Nissan or something to, you know, use that, the chassis of the midsize (laughs) truck and boom, here it is. It just says Tesla on the grill. And we're like, okay. They went back to their roots, like the original Tesla Roadster using a Lotus and like, oh, maybe we could use like the, the frontier. Um. (laughs) There was no build quality issues with the Lotus. So, uh, or the Roadster for that matter. So, so should we spend some money? Let's do it here. I'll answer my own question. Longtime Mr. Earl writes, who we've previously helped with some car buying advice and spend my money. So thanks for writing in and thanks for listening to the Autoblog podcast. Uh, it's been a little over 10,000 miles, but I have the urge to sell my Ford Escape. Here are some reasons why. Slow and boring, heavy depreciation, relatively expensive financing. Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty rough uh, uh, recipe right there. I've been contemplating replacing the Escape with either a lease on another Model 3 uh, or an Ionic 6, or taking a chance on a used BMW i3. Uh, this is the extended range edition. What do you guys think about options or any other leasing options for under $500? Some interesting considerations here. I would say there's three very different vehicles, two very different vehicles, and then kind of a choose your own adventure. So who wants to go first? Well, uh, I did look up lease prices because this is a bit of a curveball generally for us. Um, I'm not really sure. It's obviously practicality isn't much of a concern given he's going from an Escape and doesn't seem to have a problem going to two small sedans like a Model 3 and an Ionic 6. But uh, since we're talking about lease prices, you can get um, the Ionic 6 limited, so the totally uh, top of the line one for four eleven per month. That's a current um, deal, and that includes the seventy five hundred EV lease credit, which is the kind of the is the loophole for leasing electric cars. So you do get that, and an SEL, which I think you'd be fine with, is three twelve a month. That's five grand due at signing, though. Um, also, uh, just the Ionic five is a little less. Um, is it, well, it's a little more, actually, it's a little more, actually, it's a lot more. Never mind. I'm now talking myself. The SEL Ionic five is 426 per month. The Ionic six is 312. So that seems like an even better deal. I'm guessing by that it's less in demand. So I really like the Ionic six. If that's, I really like the tech in there. Um, really nice to drive goes a long way. Um, I, I think that seems like it's a pretty good lease deal if you stick with that SEL um, level. Um, yeah, I think that would be, that's, that seems like a solid choice. Yeah, so I guess looking at the things that you're complaining about, slow and boring uh, and uh, heavy depreciation. Slow and boring, I'm not surprised about the Escape. Um, sounds like you didn't buy the two liter turbo. Um, which is only mildly faster than the regular one. But what isn't slow and boring to drive is definitely the Ionic 6. Uh, I, I, I like that that first pick there. Um, great range, can definitely get it within, within the lease price. I think it's vastly more interesting to look at uh, and to be seen in than a Tesla Model 3. Um, and uh, yeah, just I really, really like that for, for something that, you know, you're you're going to keep for a while. It sounds like you're definitely ready to take the plunge to EV. Uh, the, the i3 Rex would, would, would definitely be like a, a close second 
um, just because that's it's such a an interesting, weird, and quirky car, and they are they are indeed fun to drive. Uh, they have that that BMW ness to them, and you could even get the uh, the S, which is even more fun to drive than the regular i three. So, but Ionic Six is definitely my first pick at that at that price point. Um, considerably better in all of the areas that I think that you were complaining about. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if I feel good about going last or wished I had gone first. I will also take the Ionic 6 from this list. I just drove the car like two weeks ago and I really loved it. I was almost surprised how much I liked it. Uh, the sort of teardrop, like 1930s Art Deco design really resonated with me. Uh, nice infotainment. The interior is is good for a sedan. I put, uh, I had my five-year-old in the back seat with his sort of like upright car seat and he had plenty of room, although it's, it's a car, so it's not super tight. And you do have that roof line coming down. So something to be considered. But if you're considering an i3, I don't think this is going to bother you spatially in any way. Um, I would also look at the, uh, uh, the Ionic 5 if you're just frankly looking for a different um, design aesthetic. You know, do you want kind of like that Again, 1980s look, if you will, which Hyundai like openly tried to pattern that after some of their concepts from you know 30, 40 years ago. If you like that, you're gonna have to pay a little more looking at just some of these lease prices. That might be worth it to you. But if you could get a good deal, like we're seeing here on these Ionic sixes, it's a screaming deal. It really is. You get a lot of car. It's an EV. It's very nice. I'd also note that you also there the current deal right now for I think the six and the five includes a home charger and an installation oh, offer. That's a deal right there. Walk it off, man. So yeah, that's a pretty big. That those things are not cheap. So um, that's a really good thing. And also, so I, I mentioned the limited was four eleven. I'm not sure if that's the one you drove, Greg. But I actually had the SE, so like not quite the base level, but base level features with the big battery. So that's the that's the long range rear wheel drive one. And you obviously are sacrificing some, you know, uh, creature comforts and interior ambiance by going with the one with the black uh, cloth interior. But you know, it, it was still, you know, it, it was more like a like an old like a Cord EX really. Um, which might be a little harder when you're spending 45 grand on a car, but you're not, you're leasing. So I, I don't know. Those are just two points to be made there. I'd probably go with an SEL person. If you were decided not to lease as well, I would be very comfortable recommending either of these as purchases. You know, I think, you know, solid cars, I think you'd be happy with it for more than like a, however long three-year lease or whatever you're, whatever you're doing. So. All right. We've spent some money. We've talked about Tesla. We've given out tech of the year and we've reviewed some cars. I think that's a show. Uh, thanks for hanging out, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody out there. If you enjoy the show, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, hey, wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your spend my monies. We're starting to run out of them. It's getting toward the end of the year. Maybe you want to spend some money on one of those uh, December to remember events and we can help you do that. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next week.